I love that. Thank you, Judy, for sharing some of your story. Um, it's funny because when you, whenever you talk about money, none of us really, we, we all kind of, you know, we feel it's so private and so personal and nobody wants to talk about it. And I love people who will just stand up and just say, this is what God is showing me. And so I love that. One of the things that I connected with is that when we're starting that process as part of our journey of becoming more and more generous as people, we sometimes in the beginning phases of that, we take credit for it or we, we kind of look at it, ah, I'm doing it because it makes me feel good. And today, as Scott said, we're going to unleash an avalanche of generosity in our city and in our world. And why would we do this? Why would we do that? I mean, is it because we're great people? No, I mean, you're great people, but I mean, it's not. It's not because of that. It's not even because there's great need. It's because we serve a God who has been extraordinarily generous to us. And because of God's generosity to us, towards us, it compels us to be extravagantly generous towards other people. That's why. You see, when Jesus came, he didn't just say, do unto others as they do unto you. He also said, do unto others as I am doing for you. Jesus stooped down and he washed his disciples' feet. And he said, now I want you to go and wash others' feet. And he said, I, feet is a singular, right? Yeah. <laughs> I got that. I got that. For those of you English grammar people out there. <laughs> Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies. He said, I want you to pray for those who persecute you. See, he upped the ante. He, he made a bar that was higher. And he said, I, I want you to be involved in bringing grace into this world because of what I have done for you. And so that's why I'm excited about this series we're calling Be Rich, is that it's an opportunity for us collectively as a church body to do something for our city, to do something in our world. Every year we try to do a series that kind of rallies us for this cause, rallies us to put feet to our faith. And uh, you'll remember it was either last year or the year before where we handed out money to, to all of you, about $20,000. And we said, go and invest this and team up with others and get creative and let it multiply. And you did. And it was amazing. So many hundreds of different things happening in our community and around our world because of it. Well, in this particular series, I'm going to ask that we do it together collectively, that we, we make an impact and a statement collectively as a church, as a community of faith. And uh, so why, why, where does this come from? Well, it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. When the Apostle Paul was speaking into the life of his protege, Timothy, and he was saying, I want you to instruct, I want you to challenge, I want you to encourage those who are rich in this present world. And I, I, and I know when I mention the word rich, nobody here feels like... Nobody feels you're rich, do you? I mean, most people don't. Nobody's going to go, I'm rich, I'm rich. You're afraid everybody will attack you, right? Oh, really? But the truth is, is that if you earn $34,000 a month, you are in the global elite of this world. You are in the top 1% of the world. Now, in saying that, I also mentioned last week that rich is not an amount. Right? Because it, the person who's rich is whoever makes twice as much as you. 
So nobody feels rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. That's kind of how that deal works. But the richest guy I ever knew uh, was my, a 19-year-old living in my own house, Nate. When he was 19, he was living at home. He was eating at home. He was working at Applebee's. He was bringing in these great tips. I don't know what he was telling you guys, but he was bringing in these great tips, and he had cash lined up on his dresser, hundreds of dollars. And I remember going into his room and just going, the kid is rich. Because rich is not an amount, it's margin, isn't it? Whoever has margin in their life, that's who feels the richest. And so I'm in debt to that banker for a long time. So what I want to do in this series, though, is teach us how to be good at being rich. How can we be good at it? See, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he wasn't trying to guilt people who had a lot of resources. He wasn't trying to make them feel bad. He wasn't trying to get them to live in denial and you know, drive like an old rickety car to pretend like they didn't have a resource. No, he was saying, teach them how to be good at it. And, and the, the reality is that most Americans are not very good at being rich. I mean, we are rich as a country. We are rich as individuals. Now, if you're not rich, that's okay. I'm praying one day you will be. I'm praying one day you will have resource. But I'm also praying that you'll be good at it when you get there. Most Americans are not very good at it because the more we make, the statistics show, the less we give. It's kind of counterintuitive. You'd think the more you make, the more you give. But the truth is, is yeah, you, the more you make, you might give more in a dollar amount. But Jesus is not impressed by dollar amounts. What moves his heart is percentages because it has to do with more of a sacrifice of our life. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this. He says, I want you to teach them to be really good at being rich. And here's what he said. Command those who are rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And so that's where we kind of came up with that. And uh, it's actually a series that Andy Stanley started in his church, so we're indebted to him. But... One of, one of the things that we did in the last 17 years is that we've tried to align ourselves and partner with other organizations, other nonprofits and mission organizations, those, uh, those that are doing great work in our city, feeding, the, feeding the, uh, those that are hungry, clothing people, working with the poor, uh, working with the homeless, uh, working with women and children, working with uh, missions around the world. And we've tried to align ourselves with organizations that are just doing a phenomenal job, knocking it out of the park. And, uh, and some of these ministries, uh, we want to, what we want to do in the series and what we want to do today is inject them with assistance, uh, inject them with help in a way that maybe they couldn't normally ordinarily do. Last weekend, we talked about injecting volunteer hours. And as Scott mentioned, 130 of you signed up to do that. And I'm so excited about that. And today, we want to help turn the flywheel of momentum in the area of their finances so that they can accomplish some things that they would not ordinarily be able to do. So what I want to do is look in the scripture, look in the New Testament, in the book of James. And I want to talk about a passage that comes from James. James is one of my favorite New Testament characters. James, actually the brother of Jesus, he, he, he does something extraordinary, and that is that he himself, as the brother of Jesus, confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, as God. Now, let me tell you, what would it take for you, for you to believe that your brother is God? 
I mean, that'd take a lot for me. My brother could raise me from the dead and I would say, hey, what are you doing? You're jacking with me. <laughs> I think it's fascinating that James, the brother of Jesus, watched the life of Jesus, the sinless life of Jesus, and then experienced the resurrection of his brother coming back to life and placing his trust in his faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in this letter that James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, and uh, he wrote about why we should be generous. He wrote about how we can put feet to our faith. He writes about why our behaviors should line up with what we say we believe. And he doesn't pull any punches. I mean, he goes right for the throat. And uh, if, if you find this next statement that he wrote offensive, then you'll know where it came from. It didn't come from me. Don't write me any emails. Just talk to James, the brother of Jesus. Here's what he said. He said this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Now, the fact that he uses the word accepts infers that there is quite possibly a religion or a religious system or religious people that he would not accept. There's some forms and some expressions of religion that maybe he feels closer to than others. And James, James says there is a religion. There is an approach. There is something that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless. And he uses this little Greek word, which means undiluted. It's like, give me my iced tea, but I don't want any ice in it. I just want the tea. I just want the concentrate. I don't want anything to dilute it, to water it down. He says there's, there's a religion that is pure and it's faultless. It's undiluted. And before I go to the next slide and tell you what James says that that is, let me just ask you, what would that be for you? What would it be for you in your religious upbringing as you look back on your life? Now, maybe you didn't have one at all, but for those of you who did, what would that look like? What would the kind of religion that God would accept look like for you? I know for me, when I became a Christian, nobody said this, nobody taught this, but what it looked like is frequency of attendance. If you come, if you come on Sunday morning and you come back on Sunday night and you come on Wednesday, then it's kind of like, you know, boom, star. That's a good thing. And if you lug with you a big Bible, double star. And if you, if, you, if you tithe on top of that, triple, you know, none of those things are bad, right? Going to church is not bad. Giving is not bad. Maybe for, the, for some of you in the room, you, you look back on your upbringing, you say, well, what it was, what would have been really a, a good religious thing would be to go to mass or to say the rosary. And those aren't bad things. Those are good things. That's fine. But, but the question is, is as you look back, what is it? What were the expectations put on you? They might not have been verbalized, they not, might not have been said, but there's things that in your conscience, you felt like this is what God wants from me. This is what, this is the kind of religion that he likes, that he wants. But James, he, he doesn't fill in the blank and finish the sentence the way that we might. And all of those things, I mean, they're, they're good, right? But if religion for you comes down to what you get out of it, if religion for you comes down to an attendance to hear 
a sermon and sing some songs, if that's what it is for you, then eventually you'll become cynical, you'll become critical, and you will become bored. Because you'll know deep down inside of you somewhere that is diluted. Something is missing. I don't care how good the experience is, how wonderful the singing is, or how great the preaching is, if that's what religion is for you, you will end up critical. You'll end up cynical, and you'll end up bored. But James, he says, let me tell you. Let me tell you what pure and undefiled, pure and undiluted religion looks like from God's perspective. He says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. You go, well, wait a minute. What's in that for me? Nothing. Exactly. James said, if your religion stops with you, your religion stops short. He says, if your religion somehow becomes all about you, then you're missing at least half of the equation. And as long as it's all about me or all about you, we will become critical, we'll become cynical in the end, and we will be bored. And he says, this is what it's about. And so somewhere along the way, as a Christian, you have to turn a corner. You have to turn a corner about religion being about what I get out of it and what do, I, what do I experience and what are the good feelings it will bring me and how will it inject encouragement and inspiration for me where I am the center of it. To, it, it becomes outward focused on others as a part of it. Now, let me just speak for a moment about orphans and widows in distress <clears throat> because when James was writing to the audience he was writing to, distressed women and children, they were distressed in the first century because either the father or the husband was taken out of the family normally by death, becoming a prisoner, maybe being executed for being a Christian, maybe, maybe there was a, a massive um, plague that wiped out a bunch of men. But in our culture, it's a little bit different. In our culture, women and children are living in distressed lives, not so much because someone died, most of the time. Most of the time, it's related to selfishness and irresponsibility. The selfishness primarily and the irresponsibility of men, fathers and husbands. Most of the time, husbands aren't dead, they're just missing. They're just absent. And missing fathers and husbands often create distress for women and children. And I, I know that it's not always the man's fault. I get that. I'm a guy, right? I'm protective of men. I get that. It's not always the man's fault. But most of the time, it is. Extracting men from the families back then in the first century, I mean, it created distress in the lives of the women and the children of their day. And when men are extracted out of the family today, it creates a distress as well. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, most human distress comes at the hands of other humans. I mean, most of the time, right? I mean, just watch the daily news and you'll see. You look at all of the stories that are there. And if you were to remove the distress that comes from 
drugs and alcohol and prescription drugs and abuse and abandonment and laziness and violence. I mean, wouldn't that cure a lot of things going on in our culture? It would remove a lot of the distress because most human distress comes at the hands of other human beings. And James says, as followers of Jesus, we must enter into the distress of other people. And this is so powerful because he says this. He says, <clears throat> to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He's saying it's a two-edged coin. It's a two-sided sword that we have to be involved in helping and we have to make sure we don't become a part of the problem, that we become a part of the solution. If you want to be part of the solution, you have to decide as an individual, I'm not going to become a part of the problem. I'm going to keep myself pure from the pollution, the moral pollution of this world. See, there's two sides to it. God-honoring religion does this. It alleviates distress, and it avoids the behaviors that created it. It alleviates distress, but it also avoids the behavior that creates it. That God-honoring religion does both. God-honoring religion requires us to keep ourselves from something, and it requires that we give ourselves and make ourselves available to somebody. Now, if you've been here any amount of time, you know that we work hard at doing both. It's not one or the other, it's both and. And we're absolutely committed to both of those things. But in this particular series, we're talking more about making ourselves available to those who are in distress. So here's what I wanna ask. And here's how we can actually walk this out as an action step this morning. We've asked some of our strategic partners who run charities and various outreach organizations in our community who are doing a great job. We have asked them, uh, and by the way, just so you, you know, these that we are going to assist right now, they're ones that we already work with. We've already vetted these. That's one of the hardest parts. And we already participate with them in their mission. We already contribute and, and give of either time or money or both. And But what we did was we went to them without making any promises or anything. We just asked them these two questions. What would make a big difference for you right now? And then secondly, what would help you make a big difference? So as you dream, as you think about what you could do, if you just had some additional funding, what would you do to better serve people? What would you do to be able to, to serve others, maybe even in a larger way? And so they began to think and dream, and then they shared some of their ideas. And without making any promises, we collected them. And what I wanted to do was share a few of those with you this morning. But here's the goal. The goal is 100% participation that we all, in, in past times, we've done different way, ways to reach out to our community in small groups or individuals. But on this one, I'm asking that we just team up together and we, we do this together, 100% of us, giving, serving, loving, and that we, we participate and do this as a statement to our community uh, as a faith community. So here's, the, here's what I'm gonna ask that uh, we each give $39, $39 per person. You're like, how'd you come up with that? 
It's like, I don't know, it sounds better than 40. <laughs> actually, here's what we did. There was actually a little more thought to it than that. What we did was we said, if every, we wanted to raise $25,000 to be able to give that away. Now, keep in mind, 100% of that will be given outside the walls of this church. It will not come to this church. It will go to these other wonderful, amazing organizations in our community uh, doing work in our city and around the world. And 39 per person would, with a church our size would be about $25,000. So that's what the goal is. And uh, so I know that for some, I mean, that wouldn't even be a stretch for you. Uh, for some of us, you could actually add a zero to that, right? And maybe two zeros. That's great. I encourage you to do that. For others, maybe you're here and you're like, man, if I, if I give $39 right now, I don't know if I would eat tonight. And if that's the case for you, um, this is no guilt, no pressure kind of a deal. But what I would like to do, because I know if you would, you could. And I know that when you can, you will. But what I'm saying is, is that let's still do 100% participation. Do what you're able to do. Do what your faith will give you encouragement to do. So that we're all in. We're all playing. We're all a part of this. So that we all get to celebrate when we hear the testimonies that will come back, which they will here in, in, a, in a month or so. So let me give you, out of the seven or eight different projects that we've outlined and kind of identified that we'd like to help with, let me just give you, I don't have time to go through all of them with you, but let me just highlight a few of them just to give you a sample of some of the things that we'd like to do. So Surf Spokane, you know that Surf Spokane uh, has a building right here in our parking area, right in our uh, campus. Uh, they've been going now for a decade, for 10 years, solid, doing a great job in our community. Distributing. Matter of fact, when they started 10 years ago, they were assisting 30 people a month. Now, 1,400 people uh, per month. Last year, Surf Spokane distributed nearly a half a million pounds of food. And the majority of people that they're helping and working with with food and clothing are women and children in distress, and the working poor and the elderly. And the need is so great right now, though, that um, one to two hours before they even open on any of their distribution days, there's a line. If you've ever come by, you'll see it. But there's typically a line, and uh, people will show up to be first in line an hour or two in advance. And as you know, Spokane, it snows, it rains, it's windy, it's cold. And what they would love to do is build something inside their little building that's like a waiting room. And one of the goals of Surf Spokane is to not just give food and clothing, it's to connect with the human being, with the person, to learn their story, to be available to pray for them, to assist them in their need, but to treat them with dig dignity and respect. And so this waiting room area would allow that to happen, where they could, they could get people in out, from outside, they'd have a place to wait, and it would just be a, a much better way to serve our community. Another, another example of another project that uh, will take resourcing to help them do is with Second Harvest Food Bank. Second Harvest is one of those stellar organizations in our community providing food for so many uh, food banks and schools. And uh, so they have a program called bite to go And bite to go is amazing because it, what it does is it works with some of the least resourced schools in our community and those that have the, the highest amount or percentages of people that are on free or reduced meals. And right here, uh, a stone's throw from here, is Evergreen Elementary. It's a school that we pray for, a, a school that we serve and we want to be a part of. And right now, Serve Spokane, 
uh, through Second Harvest is providing uh, uh, 50 meals, 50 meals on the weekends, so that it's actually four meals on a weekend is what it is, but it's 50 children who receive four meals on the weekends. So when they go home after a, a week of school, they get some assistance at school, but there's nothing for them at home often. And there's like 2,000 children estimated uh, per night that go to bed hungry in our community. And so the Bite to Go program helps feed kids and it helps provide them with a little uh, lunch, uh, or not a lunch, but a food, uh, a food uh, packet that provides we weekend food for them. And we'd like to be able to do, if we could, another 50 meals, another 50 children who would receive meals on the weekend. That's the Bite to Go program. And uh, so again, that would be like if we could inject that, how cool would that be? And here's a third one, um, is with Union Gospel Mission. Union Gospel Mission is doing a fabulous job in our city, um, not just helping people in crisis, but also helping people restore their lives, helping people get jobs, helping people become integrated back into society and get back on their feet. They provide vision and medical care. They provide um, housing. And they, they have a women's shelter right now that's on Sprague that's an old motel. But they just were able to purchase, and they're in the process of purchasing this new one that uh, is going to be able to even do a better job of reaching women and children in need. Let me let, me let uh, the director share a two-minute video. He does a better job than I would with this particular project we want to help him with. Friends, for 65 years, the Union Gospel Mission has been serving the poor in our community. The largest growing segment of the homeless population right now is women and children. In fact, last year at our crisis shelter, we served over 1,600 women and children. Sometimes we have over 100 women sleeping in our facility, and it's not uncommon that multiple families share the same single room and we're sleeping women on the floor every night. You know, we're doing our best to love these women. It's better than sleeping in a car or somewhere else. But I know God would have us do a better job. The ladies line up out in the rain and the snow. They go in and they get their food that we bring over from the mission every day. Then they go back to their room and they eat in their rooms. There isn't really a playground area or a child facility to care for the kids. We're excited about a new facility that we have found and we're asking you to be a part of making this a reality. The new facility has 34 rooms compared to our 16. We will have childcare facilities. We will have a large outdoor playground area. We'll have classrooms for their folk egg classes. We will have a commercial kitchen with a large dining room that they can eat as a family in a community setting. I want you to know that this is more than just a building. It's about people. And I think of Helen. This is Helen when she showed up and walked through the doors at the Union Gospel Missions Crisis Shelter. She went through our program today. She is a God-dependent, contributing member of society with a great job. And this all was possible and it started at the crisis shelter. I believe God would have us make a difference in the lives of women and children. Will you join with us and make this new facility a reality so that we can see women like Helen 
return and become all that God created them to be. Thanks for your partnership. To learn how you can be involved, go to uniongospelmission.org crisis. Thank you. Yeah, I was talking with, uh, yeah, it's just doing, they're doing phenomenal work. And I was talking with uh, Dave Wall, and uh, Dave was asking if, you know, because I asked him that question, what, what could we do if, if we can, without making any promises? And he said, if, if you guys could help sponsor one of the rooms uh, there at the new facility, and uh, I would love to see us as a church be able to do that and be able to present them with uh, a check that would, would help them do that. So if we were able to meet our goal today, not only will we be able to do the three that I told you about, but we'll also be able to help other organizations that we've already vetted as well, including Partners International in a global mission that they're a part of. So um, I just want to encourage you, um, let's be a part. Let's not opt out. I mean, all of us probably have different capacities of what we're able to do, but let's do something. Let's put feet to our faith. Um, maybe you need extra time because you're involved in a foundation or a trust or something where you need to kind of think through this and get others to weigh in. Take your time. Take your time and, and do that. But today is the day that we want to do this because uh, I'd, I'd love to just receive this as soon as we could and then we'll be able to give it out. 100% of it will leave this building. We'll go. There's no shipping and handling fees. There's no admin costs. It's all going out, okay? And uh, the donations that you give can all be done quickly in two to three minutes before you leave today. So if you're in a rush, it's only going to take two or three minutes. Here's how you do it. One is text to give. And uh, so that's just text north 77977 and select be rich. Uh, another option is up at the very top, northchurch.net, just right from your seat. You can go right to that and then click on Be Rich, and you can give through our portal off of our main website. Um, the other options, of course, are cash and check, which are the green, but we set balloons up to make this fun. Let's have fun at being generous. And so in the lobby, there's green balloons, and that would be, uh, we have some of our uh, helpers there who will... Uh, have envelopes as well for cash or check. And then we also have like eight different debit stations set up. Um, so you can give via debit card, because I know we live in a cashless society. A lot of you just have debit with you. And so that would be in there as well. We'll look for the white balloons. And we have enough people where it'll only take a couple minutes before you go. So in summary, that's what we want to do as a statement in this series towards our community, not only our time, but also our gifts. You cannot, so you can argue theology all day long, but generosity has a way of making a statement, a statement about God, a statement about how generous he is to us, a statement about the faith community that's different. Let's be different. God, we thank you. Thank you, God, for this church of just amazing, generous proportions of this church. God, we pray, will you speak to each one of us individually and collectively together that we can do this as a family in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, one, two, three, go. Have fun.